MSW Media. is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. I am your host, A.G., and I am joined by your other host, Andrew Torres. Andrew, what's up? Woo, thanks for having me. Um, it's, uh, it, is, it is Cinco de Mayo, and so as a uh, Torres, I will share with you that uh, the only thing I ever remember about Cinco de Mayo is it's the day after my sister's birthday. And so like literally for a decade straight, we would, you know, get together and go to celebrate and be like, Hey, you know, let's go out to dinner. And we would go out to dinner to like half Mexican and like, it'd be a three hour wait. And as like the second we'd show up, it'd be like, Oh yeah. Duh. Your birthday is the day before Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So there you go. Well, I got a margarita chilling. I got nice. some salt on the rim. Oh. Uh, no, I don't. But, uh, but I will maybe later. <laughs> I should. You're right. I really should. So, um, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, uh, of patrons to thank, right? We do indeed. So, yeah. Um, new patrons signed up over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod a-i-s-l-e-4-5 p-o-d not that you needed that spell anybody listening to this show is smart enough to do mm-hmm. that but uh thank you to torres superior Corey's and justin's inferior <laughs> thank you to leguminati lawyer love that bean bean humor uh to lt to dennis cup and to lawful copter <laughs> lawful copter yeah. i love it <laughs> And also thank you to one WWU sorcery. This spell can't be countered. Destroy all creatures. Uh, Also, Donalda Gillies, uh, CampQuest.org, CampQuest.org, CampQuest.org. Haywood Jablomi. Thank you for (laughs) Haywood Jablomi signing up. And uh, Nikki Walpman. And uh, this is the last time I let Andrew decide who gets to read which patron names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you'd like to make either of us say, hey, would you blow me or anything else, we can be bought for as little as $1 an episode over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pot. And uh, we have all the fun benefits, right? We've, we're about due for a hangout, maybe some bar trivia, some Q&A stuff, all sorts of great stuff going on. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely awesome. And ad-free episodes, all the bonus content. And yeah, we should set up another pub trivia uh, in, the, in the next couple weeks here yep. and, or, or a hang or, or something else. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure it out and let you know. We'll keep you posted on that. So in our first story tonight, after Joe Biden's State of the Union-esque speech last week to the joint session of Congress, the political world is all about 
the president's political capital. Biden's poll numbers have been strong. He's basically a plus 14 when you aggregate the polls. Mm -hmm. 54 approve, 40 disapprove, which are pretty good numbers in today's polarized climate, right? Uh, It's better than the previous guy ever did. Ever. Uh, But we also know that midterm elections tend to be rough on incumbents. Pundits are looking for anything to serve as a crystal ball. And so we've got pundits saying that Saturday's special election in Texas's sixth congressional congressional district is a way of kind of reading the tea leaves, right? Like a bellwether. Yeah. And so I have seen, look, I'm going to read from the Fox News headline, but I've seen even other more responsible news outlets, or I should say, I have seen news outlets um, <laughs> who, who have taken the like lazy journalist way of saying like, oh, look, this was a competitive district for Biden in 2020. At the top of the ticket, it it went for Trump fifty one forty eight. So that makes it a bellwether for twenty twenty two and an open primary. Republicans were the top two candidates. So, well, let's go to that Fox News headline quote. I'm sorry, it's it's hard to get through my throat, but Republican win in Texas special election raises questions about Biden's popularity. And, you know, the folks tweeting it out, we're like, oh, it's it's a free fall. Like uh, there's going to be a shellacking. And this is really the stupidest possible take. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first off, it was an open primary free for all. Right. With 11 Republican candidates, 10 Democrats, a libertarian, an independent and probably a Whig candidate was thrown in there somewhere at the bottom, for God's sake. Uh, The winner, Susan Wright, was endorsed by Trump and got 19%. (laughs) 19%. The runner-up, a longstanding Republican who is half a dozen, who's run like a half a a dozen times in this district, 6th District, got 13.8%. And that was enough to finish 354 votes ahead of the top Democrat, (laughs) (laughs) Jada Sanchez. So if 355 of the tens of thousands of other voters who turned out for other Democrats in this district had voted for Sanchez, we'd have a normal runoff and no one would be saying this is a bellwether for anything. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you're thinking that that, you know, three point margin for Trump in 2020 seems kind of cherry picked when you're talking about a congressional district, it's because it is right. So (laughs) the same district voted for the incumbent Republican, Ron Wright. That's the guy who died. And Susan Wright is. Is, is his widow, right, by nine points in the same 2020 election, right? Despite the fact that the DCCC funneled a ton of money to his opponent, Stephen Daniel, um, the district went Republican by 19 points in 2016. It hasn't elected a Democrat since 1982. And that Democrat was Phil Graham, <laughs> who immediately resigned to run as a Republican and won. So, you know, not exactly a swing district, which maybe was why Larry Sabato had this rated as safe Republican on his crystal ball. And Cook Political Reports had it a likely Republican seat. Yeah, yeah nowhere near purple. Uh, this sucks that it's not a Democrat pickup opportunity. Yep. But I mean, I'm you know, I'm actually encouraged by these results when you when you look under the hood. Right. Because Trump came out strongly behind Susan Wright and she only pulled 19 <laughs> percent. Uh, There was even an outspoken anti-Trump candidate in the race, Michael Wood, a Marine Corps combat veteran, an Arlington businessman. Right. And I mean, you know, 19 points. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. And and the Democrats look, this is what happens when. Democrats have no clear front runner in any particular race. Right. So Sanchez, 13 uh, percent. She was the 2018 nominee. She had the most institutional support. Um, 
Lydia Bean was a 2020 candidate in a neighboring district that got redistricted, right? And she was the only candidate really backed by organized labor. She got the endorsement of the AFL-CIO. Um, and then uh, Sean Lasseter was the guy who, who raised the most money, right? So, you know, if you're sitting there trying to be strategic, um, you, you, you really didn't have a clear choice. And like... That just happens in these wide open primaries. So yeah, I think I think a kitchen sink pulled some votes. Yeah, actually. Right. <laughs> well, the wig guy got a hundred and five. Wig guy got a one hundred and five. But look, there is one important takeaway: Democrats really are going to have to battle for the House in twenty twenty two. We've known that the margin right now is uh, just six seats. We have two eighteen to two twelve with five vacancies. Now, the runoff will cut that margin to five. Because one of either Wright or Jake uh, Elizy, both Republicans, will win that seat now. And that means it's time to start organizing, donating, working for candidates now. We have to start this now. Yeah. And, and there is no reason for Democrats to be uh, out to, to lose the energy race, right, to be outworked, out hustled, out motivated. I mean, if 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 you are not excited about the prospect of. Uh, maintaining a Democratic House of Representatives and trying to break the logjam. And if you're not excited about the accomplishments that, that Joe Biden's already made, uh, you know, in his first hundred days, then um, you should go back and listen to episode 15. <laughs> you should be excited. Seriously. Yeah. And, and, and and look, there is a, 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 you're right to point out the razor margin, the, the razor thin margin here. Um there is also a built-in institutional advantage for Republicans due to the fact that, that districts are gerrymandered in a majority of Republican-leaning states. What, what that translates to is about a three and a half percentage point advantage. So Yeah, that's yeah. a Republican handicap, yep. right? They 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 go in, you know, we're scratch golfers over here. We have to dig out of a three and a half, almost four percent hole. Some pl- some places six or seven percent. Yeah. Uh, and so we're already coming from behind because of the, the gerrymandered districts. Uh, and now, you know, the census appropriations is in. We're losing a couple of seats in New York, yep. uh, picking up a few in Texas. Got one in Montana that I'm certain will be a Republican. Um, but, you know, I mean, I personally hope that maybe there's some sort of legal challenge to these census results and that there's maybe some sort of an audit performed on, on apportionment. Uh, you know, or b- before apportionment happens, uh, because this was just a botched. It was a botched census. It was a botched count. I know a lot of people who work for the census who said we didn't count everyone. There's no way we counted everybody. And uh, and and oh, we had a pandemic. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, we, I'm glad you remembered that one. Well, that that was a that was a nice plug, uh, whether witting or unwitting, for uh, last Thursday or last Friday's opening arguments, where uh, we break down not only the the math, the mechanics of how apportionment works, uh, but also the the law, of course, of uh, exactly what what is still out there. And and I will tell you, I mean, the the spoiler is. Until Joe Biden transmits those apportionment numbers to the Congress, um, legally, this is just an internal report that they have right now. So that that is why that formal transmission hasn't taken place yet. Um, they have a ton of options and none of them involve having to go to the Trump judiciary to to, to get relief. So <laughs> nothing involves that anymore. And I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but uh you know, I, I do want to say 
um, something uh, popped up today. Uh, well, it, first of all, if anybody is interested in what went on in Biden's speech, it was an incredible speech. It was over an hour long. Uh, he went over his three massive infrastructure plans, the one we've passed already, the American Rescue Plan. Then he goes the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. Now they're actually thinking about maybe splitting those out and maybe doing the Republican plan just to show a little yeah. bipartisanship. And then, But then they still have two budget reconciliation rounds. Actually, they have three left. Uh, because they earned two more by going to the Senate parliamentarian for this fiscal year. So they have enough to, to run those if they want to. And then maybe Manchin will be like, oh, well, they did do the Republicans bill. Because remember, you and I talked about this last week, that the Republicans actually came to the table with a $600 yeah. billion dollar bill. And we were like, whoa, the Republicans want to spend money. And, um, and, and like there aren't crazy tax breaks hidden in. I mean, it, it literally is uh, $654 billion to spend on roads and bridges. And yeah, so, I mean, it's almost as if the knee jerk fire the parliamentarian and don't, you know, bother talking to Republicans. Maybe that wasn't the greatest political advice after all. Like, I would love it. There's nothing I would like. Look, like, I, I, virtually all of the Republicans in the Senate are bad actors, right? I'm not saying uh, I would trust them as far as I could throw any one of them. Uh, let's let's pick Ted Cruz because I don't think I could lift him, right? Um, it it it. I would not hold up, right? And we and we said this, right? In on on the uh, on the COVID nineteen relief bill, right? Biden looked at it, that got zero Republican votes, and he was like, "Well, fine by me," right? Uh, but if you have the opportunity to lock in six hundred plus billion dollars of pure infrastructure spending and get Republican support, great. Like, I, I, why would you not want that? Right, but watch, watch Biden will be like, all right, let's do it. And they'll be like, no, <laughs> we didn't think you'd go for it. I think it would just be awesome to call their bluff and still have two budget reconciliations left over if you want to go big on those other two bills. And then you'll have a better chance of getting Manchin on board. Exactly. Because you have done some work with the Republicans. And that's the big thing that came out today that I wanted to yep. share with you. And that might have been the plan all along. Long, Andrew, I have a feeling it could have been the plan all along, uh, but he's doing his due diligence. He's having the Republicans over. He's getting their input. Uh, he, like you said, he did this for the COVID relief package, uh, and and they they brought a six hundred billion dollar bill. And I predicted they would do the same thing for the infrastructure package, and they did exactly that. Uh, and and you know, but now now they're like, hmm, maybe we take this one because we had to get COVID relief through. We had to. It was essential. Yeah. And 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 the Republican, I mean, the difference, the numbers were the same. Um, but but the, the difference is their their response on COVID was was not negotiated in good faith. Yep. Right. And so, you know, we it, it, the we detailed this. Uh, we went through it in in really uh, excruciating detail on OA because uh, we, we made a, a 40 minute segment out of it. Um, every component. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a slightly different show. Um, every component. Uh, there, there were 10 uh, separate. Um, kind of mini bills that were stitched together yeah. uh, in, in the Democratic plan. And uh, and and every component was written by uh, a 
Democratic-led House committee. And so, you know, it had none of the bullshit, and it had a ton of things in there that would never have gotten through a Republican Congress. So, you know, it... it, it, Different story. We've said this, right? Like, when you have a 50-50 Senate uh, with two, you know, pretty conservative Democrats in it, like, this is... I, it, it is a real challenge of leadership to to get things done. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there I don't think anybody who says there's one obvious game plan like I, it, I, I, I would I would encourage you to um, to maybe rethink your confidence on that. Hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're, we'll see what what happens. We'll see what how they plan to go forward. Yep. Uh, and I just want everyone to be prepared if they accept the Republicans plan. Don't think that he's not going to push the rest of this stuff in other budget reconciliation packages. He just may have to water it down a little bit for two Democrats, which is a lot easier to do than 10 Republicans. And you might get Manchin on board because he, you know, he's the one calling for all this bipartisan. Yeah. I want to go regular order. I want to do bipartisan stuff. It's it's, it's not a settlement, right? Like, you know, no, right. You know, when you take the, the 654 bill and maybe he can, you know. Uh, and negotiate them upwards, right? Like, but but when you take that amount, it's not like you have to promise you can't bring other bills up. <laughs> that's right, not the right. way it works. That's, so yeah, yeah bank bank what they're willing to give you, and then uh, and then fight for more. And and that also deprives them of you know the very stupid argument of like, well, you know, elder care isn't infrastructure. Well. No, no, it isn't, right? You you want to be against elder care? Okay, like we'll have that fight. Right. And and it seems like Biden is putting a lot of things in these infrastructure bills that would really help out Republican voters in red states. Uh like this bridge, the, yep. the bridge that caught on fire in Kentucky, right? McConnell's been wanting to fix that shit forever. And, and he'll have to say no to that. And his voters will know that he said no to that and they'll be upset with it. That's why there's this whole he's selling this plan across the country. It's a good plan and everyone's excited about it. Uh, It's got really high marks from both Democrats and Republicans. So we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about your friend and mine, (laughs) Rudy Giuliani. So (laughs) stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for Cleanup on Aisle 45. Fun fact, most home remedies and over-the-counter acne products do not work. Or even worse, they can damage your skin. When I was about 16, the worst advice I got was trying to put hemorrhoid cream on my zits. And I'll tell you, that advice can kiss my butt. But do you know what actually does work? Prescription treatments. That's why we're uh, excited to partner now with Apostrophe, and they sponsor this episode. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed, oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear up your acne. Apostrophe connects you with the board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and medical history, then snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will create a customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats acne and they can also help you hit other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, and even dark spots. My personal skincare goals as an adult is to avoid acne, reduce dark spots, and have get rid of those little wrinkles um so that that's my goal and with apostrophe it's really nice to know you have a real board certified dermatologist and that your plan was tailored just for you submitting for my visit was quick it was easy and i didn't even need to schedule an appointment best of all i didn't have to go to the pharmacy or wait in line to get my meds they sent them directly to me with a cute postcard and stickers to personalize my prescription bottle which i loved and we have a special deal for listeners save 15 dollars off your first visit 
with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash cleanup. When you use our code cleanup, that's one word, this code is only available to listeners here. So get started. You can go to apostrophe.com slash cleanup and click begin visit. Then use our code cleanup at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash cleanup and then use code cleanup to get your dermatology visit and save $15. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Ah, so since last we spoke, (laughs) you may have heard, you might have heard that the feds raided Rudy Giuliani's home and office and seized a bunch of electronic devices, but not Hunter Biden's laptop, which he tried to get them to take. (laughs) But he already gave it to the feds last November. So I don't understand that. Uh, and, and, And also, like, I think I saw Andrew Giuliani on some news show yelling about how uh if there if this was a you know if this wasn't a political hit job why didn't they take hunter biden's laptop why didn't they take it it was like because that that's not how a warrant works that would have to be in the warrant bro unless you want to just kind of shit all over constitutional rights anyway they went to his home as off most people do not get like a multiple choice option to volunteer (laughs) stuff you know when when uh, the fbi is executing a search warrant but okay yeah and 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 if they did pick up some evidence that it wasn't in their search warrant it wouldn't be admissible okay anyway uh so here what do i know i wasn't the fucking u.s attorney for the southern (laughs) district of new york um so they go to his home and office, sees a bunch of electronic devices. They also took a trip over to Victoria Tonesig's place, took her phone, too. And as the days since the raid last Wednesday, more and more information has, is beginning to trickle out about what exactly the feds were looking for. Oh, indeed. So look, right, uh, uh, we have not seen the search warrant yet. Um, and we, we may never see it, right? Um uh, when <laughs> I'm going to say when Rudy Giuliani is indicted, that may be optimistic, but I'm in an optimistic mood today. Uh, then <laughs> then we will. Um, but but for right now, what we have to do is piece through with the evidence that we have. Right. So, for example, initially, we were told that the search uh, had broadly to do uh, with uh, Giuliani's work uh, running our shadow foreign policy in Ukraine. Right. Um and uh, because Rudy is such a prolific crimer, that um, could be any number of things, right? Could be the Russian disinformation that he shared with members of Congress, right? Um, could be uh, the lobbying that he did with Benchowski and Barr to stop the extradition of his buddy Furtash. Oh, my gosh. Um, could be the dirty dealings he was involved in with regard to the energy companies in Ukraine. The dirt he was fabricating with known Russian agents on Joe Biden. Uh, the payments in and out of his company called Fraud Guarantee. Uh, obviously, the Hunter Biden laptop Intel special. It could be so many crimes. I know. Right. Because they were just like, it has to do with Ukraine. Well, yeah. what? <laughs> Thanks. That narrows it down. Right. Though, as the days have gone on, we have learned first that the feds were specifically looking for communications between Rudy and a guy named Derek Harvey. Now, Harvey is a Nunez aide oh, who was sent to Ukraine in Nunez's place because Nunez would have had to declare the trip. And he didn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to register as a foreign agent. So he sent Derek Harvey. Right. The feds also had their sights set on communications between Rudy and the partisan Fruman show, oh, right? Those guys. Igor and, and Lev. 
And then it all became extremely clear when the story dropped that the feds are indeed investigating the role Rudy had in convincing the former guy to oust Marie Yovanovitch as the ambassador to Ukraine. She was a huge roadblock for all the criming Rudy wanted to do unfettered in Ukraine. Yeah, and he was not hiding his disdain for Yovanovitch <laughs> either, right? So back in December of 2019, Rudy tripled down on his claims that he wanted her fired when he told and I'm sorry that I've quoted Fox News now twice here in this show but <laughs> he told Laura Ingram quote I forced her out because she was corrupt <laughs> <laughs> I god I love I love Rudy and then uh, because he's Rudy, he went on to tell multiple news outlets that he sought to force her out as ambassador and if you remember she testified during Trump's first impeachment right um uh, that uh, she thought that she was seen as an impediment to Rudy and Trump's plan to force Ukraine into announcing an investigation into Hunter Biden. Um, uh, our former president was impeached for that. That was half of his impeachments. Anyway, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And impeachment is the remedy for a criminal president. <laughs> But federal criminal law is the remedy for a criminal lawyer. There you go. Uh, now, Andrew, how sure do you have to be about a crime <laughs> to get a judge to agree to raid not just any lawyer's house, but a lawyer's house, but Rudy Giuliani's yeah. house? Yeah, the, the president's lawyer, right? Like th this is uh, you, you, you recall we went through this uh, when uh, the feds executed a search warrant on Michael Cohen, right? And Yep, and they had to appoint a special master to go through all the stuff and decide all these things. There yeah. was a taint team, which is, you know, mm -hmm. my favorite thing. Um, <laughs> I love I love that there's actually a box of taint <laughs> in every law office. That's we, somebody put together, they took the A-team van and, and made the taint team van uh, for opening arguments. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really proud of that one. Um, <laughs> but but look, so you got a you got a couple of things, right? Um, you have the normal bar on convincing a federal magistrate judge uh, to issue a search warrant, right? Which is not nothing. Um, I, I think a lot of these procedural legal stuff, right? Like people have kind of heard the you know, oh, a, a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich, and 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 it feels like. All of the procedural paper stuff is just like, OK, well, you know, find the right judge that you like. But like that, that's not really the case, right? Like federal magistrate judges. I, I know I have several who are friends of mine, right? Like they take that job really, really seriously. Um, and they must believe that there is probable cause uh, to believe that at the place that is specified to be searched, right, that. Uh, there is evidence of a, an instrumentality of a crime, right? Or crimes. Pretty much um, a given for Rudy Giuliani. Right, right. It's but, okay. But you still have to be real specific about <laughs> you, you it, You right? have to describe exactly yeah. what the crime is and exactly what it is that you're searching for. Now, can you fudge that a little bit? Yes, you can. Um, but 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 here's the, the second thing, which is um, you, you then have, this is not a, a part of... Um, this is not in, inherent in Fourth Amendment jurisprudence, um, but but a judge is going to ask, how do you know that you're going to seize a, a, a potential uh, evidence and not violate attorney client confidentiality? 
right? That's that's the whole purpose of the Taint team being set up. And and again, I, I will I will tell you, right? There isn't a hard and fast rule. There isn't a case law that says. You have to be damn sure when you're searching a practicing lawyer's office. But let me tell you, since everybody involved in execute, you know, in getting the, in approving the search warrant uh, is a practicing lawyer. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like the judge cares very, very much that you don't set a precedent that's like, oh, OK, like, you know, cops or FBI agents can like rummage through lawyer stuff. Right. Um, they, they care very deeply about that. Almost all federal magistrate judges were in private practice and are sitting there thinking like, well, I, I sure wouldn't want anybody to like rummage through my files. Um, and 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 they're right. So um, now you're helped here by the fact that. Um, Rudy Giuliani seems only occasionally to practice law and then uh, mostly incompetently and in things that would uh, vitiate the privilege anyway. Um, but uh, but yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a little <laughs> bit because there's a couple different ways. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I, 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 I do want to mention that we also learned that Southern District of New York wanted to execute this warrant last year was blocked at the end of 2020 by then acting attorney general Jeffrey Rosen who wrote an internal memo who wrote an internal memo to all of the US attorneys instructing them to inform him of any such warrants that they may want to execute in the future now there there is the fig leaf of election stuff but like uh, I think we all know what that means. <laughs> yeah. So now here's the here's my big question that I'm wondering. What, like, I know that they were blocking it. And now Merrick Garland's in there and he's lifted that block and allowed this to go forward. But is he looking for that old stuff or the new stuff? Because if he was, you know, they were looking for comms between, you know, Rudy and Parnas and Freeman and Harvey. Uh, which is old stuff, right? And and that might be uh, some evidence in the case that he was lobbying Trump to oust Jovanovich without registering as a foreign agent under FARA, uh, which we know that they're looking at as well. They're investigating that as well. Um, but do, do you think Merrick Garland just allowed the old warrant to be executed? Or do you think that there might have been some new evidence here to, to go in front of a judge with? So I don't think we know. Um, I, I would tell you my beans would be on old warrant, right? Like, because that is the conservative, safe, sort of cautious way to proceed. Now, it, if there is evidence that is uncovered, there is absolutely right. This goes back to the A block, right? Like, there's nothing to stop you from taking a second or a third bite at the apple and get getting the rest of that evidence. <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, like you said, they're going to cry attorney client privilege. But then there's the old crime fraud exception, which I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar with. But I wanted to bring up a th- the third party rule when it comes to attorney client privilege, because the, the mainstream media is saying, oh, God, it's going to be a huge fight on privilege. Oh, no. But I don't see it as a huge fight. You, you appoint a special master. You have them go through the stuff. You can find out what is attorney client privilege and what is not, just like they did with Cohen. I don't see a huge fight coming. I think it's pretty cut and dry. But with regard to that third party exception, I wanted to sort of go over that because isn't it true that if any emails were forwarded to non-attorneys or clients declared agents of a client, like, say, Parnas and Fruman, <laughs> doesn't that waive attorney-client privilege, too? One hundred percent. Like, you, you you, could not be more correct about this. And, um, and, and it's something that it's kind of embarrassing that um, lawyer talking heads on TV are getting this wrong uh, where, where you're getting this right. So... Um, a, a couple of things, and, and that's that, that's a compliment to you and an insult to them, right? Um, but 
but but a couple of things here, right? So the the rule on attorney client privilege is uh you must have a conversation between an attorney and a client in which the client has requested legal advice and the attorney is providing legal advice to the client, right? That that's the first even before we get to the third party exception, right? So like I'm a really, really good example of this, right? Like all of the conversations that you and I have about cleanup on aisle 45, that's not attorney client privilege, right? Just because there's an attorney in the room doesn't make it attorney client privileged. <laughs> and, but the opposite of that, and, and I know like Donald Trump seemed to have think like, it seems to have thought that like having a lawyer in the room means the whole thing goes down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Or having, or even worse, having the white house counsel in yeah, the room, right? <laughs> right? Having like, the attorney okay. general present. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it it, but the reverse actually is the case, as as you point out, it is 100 uh, percent a bar that um, the, the moment you uh, as a lawyer are providing legal advice and somebody who's not your client or an agent of your client walks into the room, that's it. You're done. Um, and, 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 and let me add one last thing on top of that, which is um, – Rudy does not seem to be very good at uh, uh, anything, but he's really not good at the details of being a lawyer, right? Like you, you broke the story in connection with him being admitted pro hoc vice in Pennsylvania uh, that his bar license in D.C. had elapsed, right? And like elapsed like five years ago, right? Yeah. Oopsie. It, it, so one of the tests, right, that a court is going to use in order to figure out if you've represented a client or not is to look to these sort of objective indicia, right? Do you have an engagement letter with said person as a client? Do you keep records of your time? Do you have, you know, a segregated account? Do you have a retainer? You don't have to take a retainer from a client, but like, well, that's why he hasn't been out on the air for the last three weeks yeah. is because he's been at home falsifying all those yeah, things. Well, probably <laughs> uh, I, I, that strikes me as highly plausible, but like it, it also strikes me as plausible that like uh, outside of fabricated documents, like you, you, you pull his, uh, his hard drive and there may not be, you know, any formal attorney client, you know, a, a document. There may not be an engagement letter. And and when you put all those circumstances together, the court's going to be like, no, doesn't seem like you were acting as a lawyer in this situation even before you get to crime fraud and third party. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't even matter because the, the, the crime that they're looking for isn't covered by attorney client right. privilege yes. because it's a crime. Yeah. So, I mean, right out of the gate, if there's a crime, which there had to have been a really high probability of one in order for them to go in and get that warrant in the first place. That's not covered by attorney-client privilege, and and they know that. Uh, so it, it, that's why they're calling this thuggery, yep, league thuggery, political <laughs> thuggery, and and uh, uh, all sorts of other uh, interesting words. Now, are you ready for this? Captain Underpants himself, <laughs> Alan Dershowitz, uh... is weighing in, telling the press he hopes that Trump will step in and help with attorney-client privilege <laughs> claims. <laughs> quote. He says, "Quote." I hate that I'm quoting Alan Dershowitz from Fox News. That's a double whammy. Quote, hope the people whose information is privileged, like Donald Trump, 
would join the lawsuit and say, you can't see my stuff, end quote. Dot, dot, dot. Unless it's a crime, I, <laughs> Captain I, Underpants. Like, let's let's think. About, I'm, I'm sorry to, to jump in, but like, let's think about the 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 unmitigated gall of saying the quiet part loud that that statement is right. Saying, I don't want you to have this evidence. Well, why would you not want them to see my stuff? Because it's evidence of a fucking crime. Uh, yeah. Alan Dershowitz yeah. has lost his goddamn mind. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah. And get this. He told CNN that the feds, the only reason that they had the raid uh, was if they had a tip that Rudy was trying to destroy evidence. But that's not true either. That's not the only reason you execute a search warrant. No, there's there is no like prominent lawyers who once represented the president's exception to the Fourth Amendment. Like, no. I mean, you know, look, we went through and I talked about how. Uh, a, a judge is going to have an inherently higher standard of determining whether probable cause exists because, you know, they're going to, you know, swallow hard and think twice before letting you go raid a lawyer's office. But like that, that I, Dershowitz is literally just making stuff up. And 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 look, that's not the only right. Like, I mean, we could talk about how he represents the my pillow guy and filed a lawsuit claiming that Dominion Voting Systems is the government because they're contracted to provide election services, which which is a position so repugnantly stupid that if you <laughs> submitted it in a one L class to Alan Dershowitz, he would fail you. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, anyway. Sorry. It kind of makes me want to take his class and just just submit all the stuff that he <sighs> says is okay yeah. and see how he grades it. <laughs> uh, before we uh, before we hang up this segment on Rudy, I want to read you a thread. Ooh. Uh, it's a short thread. I wrote this in September of 2020, and it's a thread. Beans. This one's called "Rudy's Going Down" or "Van Grack's Coming Out." <laughs> there are a lot of dots to connect here, so grab your murder boards and let's get started. We learned today, this is back in September, the CIA believes Putin likely directed Andrei Durkacz to attack our elections uh, by spreading disinformation, desinformatia, using our Congress lobbyists and the media. Blink, blink. Now, there sure does seem to be a lot of Trump's buddies willing to out Durkacz. We knew that 12 days ago, U.S. This is again, this is back in September. 12 days ago, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve slapped sanctions on Durkacz for interfering in the election, and they tied him directly to the Kremlin. And just five days ago, FBI Director Chris Wray confirmed to the House Homeland Security Committee that Russia was interfering on behalf of Trump to hurt Biden and that certain persons were boosting Trump on Russia state te- Russian state television. And Ray's testimony tracks with Trump's National Counterintelligence and Security Center's August 7th report that said Durkacz publicized leaked phone calls to denigrate Biden and help Trump. You'll notice that the NCSC director, Bill Evanina, works for Ratcliffe. And when he was the DNI, you'll remember Trump fired his old DNI McGuire for defending a subordinate that briefed Congress, saying the CIA, NSA and FBI all agree that Russia's helping Trump. Now, chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee says he's not surprised by the news, but he's surprised that the administration is covering it up. But are they? I mean, we have DNI Ratfuck, CIA Haspel, Treasury Secretary Steve, FBI Ray, and NCSC Evanina all outing Durkacz. When have you ever seen that many Trump administration officials go after a Russian for interfering on behalf of Trump? (laughs) Trump has fired people over this in the past and gutted inspectors general to prevent any oversight about it. I mean, even Mike Pompeo admitted it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, guess who Durkacz is besties with? That's right, Kaludi Rudy Giuliani. Durkacz gets his dirt from Furtosh, who Rudy lobbied old Alpha Bank fucker Benchkowski to let off the hook for his extradition charges for bribery back when he was head of a criminal division in Maine Justice. Durkacz and Rudy hosted a podcast to release the Biden dirt and the fake phone call recordings on One America Network. And remember when Rudy sent the parchment envelope with calligraphy on the front that included Trump hotel folders full of fabricated dirt on Biden? That was fun. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> or how about the time Durkacz got Biden dirt to Senator Ron Johnson as part of his investigation into Biden and Burisma, likely through the two D.C. lobbyist lawyers that quit working for Durkacz and started cooperating with federal prosecutors? Or perhaps Ron got the dirt straight from Rudy. He's easily dumb enough to make the handoff himself. Isn't it also interesting that Furtosh has popped up in recent ICIG FinCEN documents? Either way, we know that Mueller investigation spawned the FARA unit inside the Department of Justice headed by former Mueller, prose Mueller prosecutor Brandon Von Grack. Nor can we forget Audrey Strauss's superseding indictments on Giuliani's fraud guarantee pals, Parnas and Fruman, this past week. So one of two things is happening here. Either Trump is throwing Rudy under the bus which has allowed all the intel on Durkacz, Rudy, and Furtosh to come out. And Benchkowski stepped down recently, so he's either helping or off the hook on a promised pardon. Or Barr is putting his thumb on the scale to prevent Rudy from being indicted, despite the walls falling down around him. And since Barr can't wrangle the SDNY because Berman refused to leave without Audrey Strauss taking his place instead of that Trump guy from New York, the other way... Uh, Barr could be stalling is by putting pressure on the FARA unit in his own Department of Justice. So either Southern District of New York and Strauss indicts Rudy, either because Trump and Barr are cool with it or because she's she doesn't give a fuck, or Van Grack resigns in protest and blows the whistle. Those are my beans. So that was my little thread from back in September I, of 2020. That sounded eerily prescient to me. So <laughs> thanks thanks for sharing. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for sitting through it. Uh, we've got more news coming up. Uh, you want I, I know you want an update on Matt Gates. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. All right, we'll get to it right after this break. Hey, everybody, it's AG for Clean Up and All 45. If you're like most people, you almost never go to the doctor. Mm, that's me too. Maybe when you're sick or hurt, but that's it. And finally, there's now a practical and affordable way that you can take control of your health long-term and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. Steady MD is your personal doctor online. It's telehealth done right. You start by taking a quiz to get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your lifestyle and health needs. Next, you have a one-hour appointment with your doctor to set up a real relationship. And after that, your doctor is available for you anytime by text, phone, or video chat. Unlike other services, this isn't a random doctor on call. Each Steady MD doctor has a limited number of patients on their panel so they have time to listen and give you personal attention i found the quiz to be fun and super informative very user-friendly uh, i love my match catered just to me i felt immediately comfortable and confident in my primary care physician SteadyMD can help you get and stay healthy manage chronic conditions and uh, you know reduce stress lose weight sleep better feel better boost your immunity so much more all from the comfort of your home. Skip the waiting room and all the germs of the crowded waiting room. Prescriptions are sent directly to your home, so you don't have to go to the pharmacy either. And all your medical records are in one place. And best of all, you get unlimited access to your doctor for just $99 a month. No additional visit fees or co-pays. SteadyMD will even help you understand and get the most out of your health insurance, but insurance is not required. SteadyMD is now accepting members of all ages in all 50 states. So go to SteadyMD.com slash cleanup to take their free quiz and see which doctor is a perfect fit for you. That's S-T-E-A dymd.com slash cleanup. Cleanup is all one word. There's no risk and no long-term commitment. That's steadymd.com slash cleanup. And we thank them for sponsoring the show.
And welcome back to the show. Um, I cannot go another week without us checking in and getting an update on everyone's favorite, the most punchable face in the United <laughs> States Congress, uh, Matt Gates. Uh, Ag, what what is going on with the this creepy, terrible story? Well, let's see. Where did we leave off? I think we left off with the Bahamas trip. And Green Greenberg wanting to cooperate with the feds. And now, now the news is that the feds are looking into whether or not that Bahamas trip was actually a gift in exchange for cannabis legislation on behalf of a guy named Halsey Bashir. The most Republican name ever. <laughs> Halsey. I know he sounds like he's in the tennis club at, at, at trading places. She stepped on the ball. <laughs> you know? He's definitely a member of the Heritage Club. Yeah. So oh. Halsey uh, Bashir, he's the one who flew the private jet Gates flew coach. Gates flew commercial. He wasn't invited on the jet, I guess. And and when he came back, when Halsey came back into the country, they customs stopped him because the the women who were with him looked so young. That that was a creepy, creepy element of the story. Where I, uh, they they signed affidavits that said the three women were over the age of eighteen by quote by the time they took the trip. End of quote. Right. Which I uh, again. Yeah. Yeah, I, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's gross. But Bashir's actually wasn't the one. That actually, you know, uh, the, I think I misspoke. Bashir's isn't the one who was trying to get this cannabis legislation through. It's the hand surgeon, the tennis elbow guy, <laughs> Doctor. Pirazzolo. Yeah, Doctor Jason Pirazzolo. Um, mm-hmm. ha, ha, so Bashir's is a former member of the Florida state legislature, right? Yeah, yeah. So he and Gates were buddies uh, in the Florida state legislature. Bashir's has the private jet. Now, by the way, Florida state legislature, that's a part-time gig that pays $32,000 a year. So, you know, um, uh, he did not get a a private jet from his lucrative career uh, uh, working part-time in the Florida legislature. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. No, I, I can tell you exactly what he was doing there. Shit like this, right? Because basically... Uh, Dr. Hand, uh, <laughs> gonna, that's my uh, Bond villain name for him, uh, approached that, you know, Matt Gates and said, hey, here's what my, I, he's a, he's a cannabis entrepreneur, right? And he's like, here's the stuff I need done. And pretty much word for word, the plan that Pirazzolo handed to Gates ended up in Gates's draft legislation. And if the Bahamas trip and the women were payment to get that done, that's illegal. That is one hundred percent bribery, right? Um, and 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 look, let's differentiate, right? So the the operative case here is the Supreme Court's twenty sixteen nine nothing decision in the Bob McDonald case, right? Bob McDonald was the former uh, governor of Virginia. That I mean, this really seemed like textbook corruption at every level right like he had these you know sleazy supplement salesmen that were sort of following him around uh and uh you know and he got like rides in their ferrari he got big you know uh truckloads of er, er, you know trunk loads of cash his wife got fur coats right some of it were gifts some of it were extended you know like 
that that loan right like like they didn't give him the ferrari but he get to drive it a lot which you know i'd like to drive a ferrari at some point at least these are good gifts they are you remember (laughs) do you remember when cohen offered somebody a a plastic shopping bag with a boxing glove in it and 10 grand (laughs) to rig the poles (laughs) or i'm thinking like ab scab you know where it's Mm. like oh we got we got 500 bucks in the back of a freezer here why don't you go take it out all right all um, right all right uh, cohen that'll be fifty thousand dollars well how about a boxing glove and a walmart bag and ten thousand will you take that will you take that <laughs> and so it's fucking it, essential it, it, it's i'd like essential consultants um so you know so what was disappointing about the supreme court's mcdonald decision again remember nine nothing right the, the supreme court was Correct. The law is the problem, right? Yeah. It, it is the fact that that our, our bribery law does not match up to expectations. And everybody was just sort of like, well, look, if if you can't uphold the conviction of the guy with the fur coats and the Ferrari and the bag of cash, you know, what what can you do? Um, but but that case actually turned it did not turn on. Right the the quid part right like it was very very clear that you know sleazy supplement guy dumped a ton of money uh on mcdonald and his wife the question ah, so it wasn't the squid it was the crow yes it was it was the quo and 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 what the supreme court said was you you have to uh, under our existing bribery laws you have to perform an official governmental function Right. And what was alleged, what was proven, what went to the jury was uh, McDonald kind of putting his arm around this asshole and introducing him around at cocktail parties and saying, oh, yeah, man, like these guys supplements are the best. And, you know, you should really get him up as an expert on this and that. And like it was scummy and it was awful and he was paid off, but it was not an official governmental act. And that's why they overturned the conviction. Um, Introducing legislation, not passing it just introducing it governmental act is 100 percent a governmental function yeah so so (laughs) i wish everyone could have seen your face right there yeah so so in other words what what's crucial here is they've already done the hard part right if 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 this plays out the way that we've anticipated right if it is uh you introduce a bill legalizing cannabis. And by the way, like the 2014 bill that Matt Gates introduced, like, so a, a, I mean, you know, it, it, it kind of, um, uh, it got him attention and notoriety as being a Republican who was, you know, pro legalization in 2014. Uh, his daddy, uh, was, uh, the, um, uh, I, 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 I believe uh, was the head of, you know, was was the the chair of the Florida Republican Party at the time. Um, uh, So let's be. That's helpful. Yeah. No, sorry. Uh, Don Gates was president of the Florida Senate and was, quote, being pummeled by my son uh, about having, uh, you know, supported that particular piece of legislation. Um, And and the legislation was weird. Right. It, it very specifically described um, a, a particular. Exactly what Dr. Hand wanted. Yeah, what exactly. Particularly a described. particular kind of extract. It was limited to certain kinds of patients. Right. Like it was just 
it was one of those that like drew raised eyebrows at the time and seems like it's going to be really, really easy to connect the dots up um, here. And, and, and again, you know, we're, we're still learning. So, you know, <laughs> so that's uh, one thing they're looking into, mm-hmm. but something else that's happened this week. And this is pretty amazing. Joel Greenberg wrote a confession letter, apparently, and Daily Beast got got a hold of it. And apparently it's this is Greenberg in the final months of the Trump presidency claims he had uh, associate Matt Gates paid for sex with multiple women, as well as a girl who was 17 in this letter, in this confession letter. He says, quote, on more than one occasion, this individual, the 17 year old, was involved in sexual activities with several of the other girls, the congressman from Florida's first congressional district. And myself. I don't know why he didn't just refer to him as Matt Gates, but there you go. Uh, from time to time, and this is great, gas, money, or gifts, rent, or partial tuition payments were made to several of these girls, including the individual who was not yet 18. I did see the acts occur firsthand. <laughs> and Venmo transactions, cash app, and other payments were made to these girls on behalf of the congressman. So literally, cash, ass, gas, or grass. Nobody rides for free. Yeah. Um, now, this letter was written after Greenberg, who was under federal indictment, asked Roger Stone to help him get a pardon from Trump. He offered Roger Stone $250,000 in <laughs> cryptocurrency, of course, uh, to, to lobby uh, Trump for a pardon. Now, help everyone understand that that is not illegal. Well, I, I think that that can be illegal, right? Like... Under the the same federal bribery statute that we just talked about, eighteen U.S.C. two hundred one, right? If you got something in return, yes, you have to get the, yes. you have to have the 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 quo to the quid, right? The crow to the squid. Well, and 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 so, right? Here's the here's the operative language from that statute, right? It says whoever directly or indirectly, right, corruptly gives, offers, or promises anything of value to any public official, right? Or offices or promises any public official or person who blah, 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 uh, with intent to influence any official act, right, is is guilty of bribery, right? So when, when you say, right, and, and, and the question is going to be, like, Roger Stone is going to say, like, oh, yeah, well, I was just talking out my ass when I said I could do that. Yeah. Yeah, but there are hundreds of people who paid lawyers and people close to Trump to try to get pardons for them. And, and nobody's going after them. I, I don't see I don't think this is illegal. So I, I think the, the, the question is the link in the chain. Right. So in other words, let's think about this in the same connection. The, the reason that. Um, you know, our our, uh, 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 our our favorite banker, Stephen Koch. Right. Um, it, it the the question is sort of demonstrating where that line of somebody acting as an intermediary who says, oh, yeah, right. You know, I I could definitely get you named, you know, secretary of the army. All you have to do is have your bank approve, you know, 13 million dollars in loans. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, well, turns turns out Paul Manafort was full of shit. Right. Um, that that would sever that link. Um, and so, you know, the, the question here and the reason that you won't see it pursued, right. And this is where I think you were going, right. Um, 
the, the reason that you won't see this pursued as bribery is because it would require Roger Stone to roll on Donald Trump. And if that were ever going to happen, that would have happened two years, right? Like that is never going to happen at this mm, point in time. I see. So, you know, it, it, uh, it, the, the, the text messages are, are really bad, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. Now, I, I I will have to go and erase a tweet. I was under the impression that it is not illegal to offer a quarter of a million in cryptocurrency to Roger Stone to try to get a blanket pardon. If you if you believe that Roger Stone can get that right, then you are indirectly attempting to offer something of value to the president for an official act. And I, I think that's clear. Uh, right. But it, but it's not but it's not on Trump. Yeah, it's on you. It's on the br- right. the right. Yeah. Bribery is bilateral, right? Like it, it, that's 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 probably sort of where this is coming up, right? Like you can be the briber or the bribee mm. and it's still bribery. But now let's talk about this letter because he gets real specific <laughs> about his crimes in here. And and I I'm thinking that is because uh Trump was being advised not to give blanket pardons to anyone. Apparently it's been reported Matt Gates asked for a blanket pardon before Trump left office and and that didn't happen, although Trump and Gates deny that that conversation existed. Uh I believe it did. Uh there's a lot of people who heard it, so um you know, I I I believe that. Uh so <clears throat> knowing that uh, that the president wasn't handing out blanket pardons, he's probably told or advised to to what specific crime do you want to be pardoned for? So I think he went off on this whole confession uh, thing. And then also Matt Gates wasn't willing to help him get a pardon. <laughs> so he went to Roger Stone. And I think that's why he wanted to out Matt Gates. I mean, it's just this weird. It's a weird. These are weird dudes. Yeah, I, I, I think that reading is exactly correct. Right. Like, again, in the text messages, you know, what you see is uh, <laughs> you have uh, Greenberg say, if I get you 250 K in Bitcoin, would that help? <laughs> or is this not a financial matter now? But that that's it's really hard to spin that any other way. Right. Uh, and, and Roger Stone's reply is, and again, remember this is December of 2020, right? Roger Stone's reply is, I understand all of this and have taken it into consideration. I will know more in the next 24 hours. I cannot push too hard because of the nonsense surrounding pardons. So. The, oh, the nonsense. <laughs> the nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, love it. Well, we're definitely going to keep an eye on this. Um, I'm expecting. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, when did, when's he going to get indicted? Oh. Gates is going to be indicted. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to pick, you know pick a timeline because I. I I've been bad at those lately, but um, yeah, I thought for sure we were going to see uh, something out of the southern or the not the southern district, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office yep. by the end of April, and we did not. So I'm not very I'm my 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 uh, timing is off right now. Uh, so I I wouldn't want to wager I wouldn't want to venture a guess um, <sighs> on this, and we don't know how far into this they are. They've been investigating since last summer, but again, with you know with this execution of the warrant on Rudy Giuliani, yeah. Merrick Garland is just now getting these yep. things yep. and and lifting a lot of blocks that have been in the way uh, for a long time. I, I will say, federal prosecutors ha- have to not be happy 
about the degree to which this is being litigated in the press, right? Like it, it's it's certainly fun for us to watch and, you know, head on over to, you know, the Daily Beast and read the letter and all of that stuff. Um, but but, you know, as a lawyer, you 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 never want to be in that position. Um, and so uh, it, it I, I don't know to what extent that would affect their timetable. But I can say, you know, in all my dealings with prosecutors, like, you know, you don't like to be in this spot. No. Yeah, I can't imagine. All right. Well, we'll keep following that story. We'll keep following the Rudy story. We're going to keep on top of all of it. And we're also going to be talking about who's leaving and who's coming into the administration. <laughs> and that is the next block. We'll be that, doing that right after this break. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. It is time to talk about my favorite thing in the world. It's Magic Spoon Cereal, and they are sponsoring this show today. It's a delicious but super healthy cereal that brings joy to your mornings or afternoons or midnight snack times. My favorite food growing up was always cereal. It was sweet and delicious, but that sweetness was just from an insane amount of sugar and chemicals and additives and other junk I have to avoid now as an adult. But recently, I tried Magic Spoon. It tastes exactly like the regular cereal from your childhood, but it is super nutritious. Magic Spoon has, amazingly, zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, protein, four net grams of carbs, and only 140 calories in each serving. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And exciting news, Magic Spoon has released a super delicious new flavor, Birthday Cake. Birthday Cake Magic Spoon will be available in a special five-pack for a limited time. So get it while you can, or build your own box. Available flavors to build your custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. I love the great new flavors. Combining them is amazing, too. Cocoa and peanut butter together tastes like a peanut butter cup. It's amazing. So go to magicspoon.com cleanup, grab the new limited edition birthday cake. It's so good. Or a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. Please be sure to use promo code CLEANUP at checkout to save $5 off your order as well. This offer is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund all your money with no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com cleanup and use promo code CLEANUP at checkout to save $5. And welcome back, and it is time for everyone's favorite segment, Comings and Goings. Um, I want to start with a strange one, right? So a hearty welcome to Karen Erica Donfrey, that is President Biden's nominee to be Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. And like everybody on the rest of this list, right, she's eminently qualified. She was a specialist in European affairs at the Congressional Research Service for a decade. She was then the first female president of the German Marshall Fund, right? That's a big think tank on uh, American-European relations. Um, the guy she's replacing is Aaron Wes Mitchell. And so I, I, I was thinking we'd be waving him bye-bye, uh, except Mitchell resigned over two years ago for, quote, personal and professional reasons, which Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, quote, were not in protest over the Trump administration's policies in Europe, which means they were totally in protest <laughs> of the Trump administration's policies in Europe. And so Trump just let the position stay vacant for two years because he literally didn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome, Karen Donfried. And thank you, President Biden, for, you know, caring about Europe. Yeah. 
We also welcome Frank Kendall, nominee for Secretary of the Air Force, Department of Defense. Frank Kendall is an independent consultant, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, a senior advisor to the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Mr. Kendall has over 45 years of experience in engineering management, defense acquisition, and national security affairs. So eminently qualified. And in addition, Mr. Kendall is an attorney and has been active in the field of human rights, working primarily on a pro bono basis. So he's a good dude. Uh, yeah. And welcome aboard. Also, also a, a hearty welcome to Thomas A. Monheim, who is uh, Biden's nominee for Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. Oh, we have one. Yeah. <laughs> he has served as the acting Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. His prior military service includes time as a prosecutor, uh, as defense counsel, as appellate counsel, as a military judge, as deputy general counsel of the White House Military Office. Uh, and I, I had to include this because I have no idea what it means, and I'm hoping you will explain it to me. The Senior Individual Mobilization Augmentee. Got me. Oh, good. No idea. <laughs> um, Sounds uh, something about mobilizing. He's he's won everything you could possibly win, right? Like he's won the Bronze Star, the Legion of Merit, which uh, someday I want to win the Legion of Merit, um, the Director of National Intelligence uh, Exceptional Service Award, and the Presidential Meritorious Executive Award. So you know, I, it it's, it seems like a good pick to me. Welcome aboard. Yeah. Good Lord, welcome, uh, Gina Ortiz Jones is Biden's nominee for Undersecretary of the Air Force, Department of Defense. Gina Ortiz-Jones has spent her career working to protect U.S. economic and national security. She's a member of the LGBTQ plus community. She served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Ms. Jones served as the Democratic nominee for Texas's 23rd Congressional District in 2018 and 2020 as well. So welcome, Gina Ortiz-Jones. Yeah. And welcome to Meredith Berger, who is uh, the nominee for Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Energy, Installations, and the Environment. Um, Ms. Berger was the Deputy Chief of Staff for the Department of the Navy during the Obama-Biden administration. Um, she joined in 2011 as a policy advisor at the EPA, where she worked on the presidential task force uh, following the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And so, you know, this is like the third or fourth person that we've seen um, where, you know, it really reflects the administration's commitment. Right. It, they've, they've said it publicly that um fighting climate change was going to be across the entire executive branch. And, uh, you know, uh, again, we just see more nominees where that is uh, walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Mm, yeah, for reals. Uh, Michael Connor, welcome. Nominee for Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works. Uh, now, the majority uh, this <laughs> Pretty incredible career has been in public service, mostly serving uh, under Obama as the deputy secretary of the U.S. Department of the Interior from 2014 until 2017. He was a key leader in implementing the Obama administration's priorities for the Department of the Interior, including establishing water policies and strategies to address an unprecedented Western drought. Remember the California drought? I really remember it. Promoting renewable energy, development on public lands and uh, the water continental shelf, developing science-based strategies. Oh, what a concept. <laughs> to support landscape-level management on public lands and uh, taking action to improve the federal government's fulfillment of its trust responsibility to indigenous people. From 2001 to 2009, Connor served as counsel to the U.S. State Energy and Natural Resources Committee and previously served in the Department of the Interior in the solicitor's office. And then... 
as the director of the Secretary's Indian Water Rights Office. So this is a heck of a, of a career. And now he's going to be the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, welcome aboard. And, you know, here's something uh, here's someone where I, I, I really wanted to dig down on this. Um, this is uh, Ed Gonzalez, who is uh, the nominee for director of ICE. Right. Um, pretty important uh, position. And, um, and and this is really a, a Biden kind of pick. Right. So Ed Gonzalez um, from Houston. Right. Life lifelong Houstonian self-described, right? Um, he, uh, he was in the Houston police department for 18 years, uh, as a sheriff. Um, he, uh, retired in 20, in, in 2009, uh, was elected to the Houston city council. Um, and then, uh, was, was made vice mayor and then mayor pro tem. And I, I, I love the idea that there is both a vice mayor and a mayor pro tem <laughs> in Houston. Right. So, you know, po political guy, uh, and then was elected sheriff of Harris County in 2016. Um, it, it is, is crucial, uh, when, when you look at that background, um, you know, which could, could be some red flags. Right. Um, I, I, I took a look at the kinds of position, uh, the kinds of positions that, that Gonzalez has taken, uh, politically. Um, he, he ran for, uh, sheriff and, and was one of the first sheriffs to, uh, be publicly critical of Trump's immigration policies, um, and has, uh, campaigned not just, uh, against, uh, the Trump immigration policies, but broadly for criminal justice reform packages. Um, and, and, and one of the things that he's spoken out about is, um, he has spoken out about, um, cash bail, which is a real problem, um, that, you know, really weighs disproportionately, um, on, on, uh, poor and, and minority communities. So, um, Right to be skeptical, but, uh, you know, looks like looks like a good dude um, whose whose politics are in the right place. And that's a tough, you know, that's a tough position to fill. So, yeah. And we'll see. We'll see what he does. Welcome aboard. Ed. Yeah. Uh, also, Caroline Crass. She's going to be general counsel for the DOD. Mm. Caroline Crass is currently senior vice president and general counsel, general insurance and deputy general counsel of American International Group, AIG. Okay. Now, before entering the private sector, Kraft spent more than two decades in public service, including 13 years at the DOJ, primarily as a career lawyer in the Office of Legal Counsel, OLC, and a special assistant U.S. attorney within the National Security Section of the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. In 2009, Kraft was appointed special assistant and special counsel for national security affairs to President Obama and deputy legal advisor to the National Security Council in 2011. If you remember... Uh, we had that uh, lawyer for the National Security Council, Mike Ellis, <laughs> under Trump, who was hiding, <laughs> hiding dirty conversations in that <laughs> that code word classified system, <sighs> and then was uh, shoved into the NSA role as the legal counsel there. But we waved bye bye to him a couple weeks ago. Now. Back to Crash. She returned to the Justice Department and served as acting assistant attorney general, advising the president, attorney general, and other executive branch leaders on very complex questions of constitutional and statutory law. So she's a bright lady. And in 2014, Crash was the first woman to be confirmed by the United States Senate as general counsel for the CIA. So she's uh -huh. she's got a lot of letters by her name. Yeah. 
Uh, welcome, Caroline. Welcome. And welcome aboard to Chris Liu, who is the nominee for representative to the UN for management and reform. Um, so that's an ambassadorial level position. Um, he's a he's a career public servant, right? Um, was the deputy secretary for the U.S. Department of Labor. So he's been previously confirmed by the Senate. Um, he uh, is only the second Asian American in history uh, to be the deputy secretary uh, at a cabinet level. Um, so uh, uh, welcome aboard. Yeah. Son of immigrants, too, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, also, welcome Lee Satterfield, nominee for Assistant Secretary for the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. That's part of the Department of State. That's a job with the State Department, right? So uh, Leo, Leo Satterfield is President and Chief Operating Officer at Meridian International Center. That's a nonprofit organization for diplomacy that basically kind of shores up engagement between the U.S. and the world, right? Uh, now, she, she previously served in the Obama administration as Acting Assistant Secretary of State and Deputy Assistant Secretary of State uh, in the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, same agency <laughs> there. Uh, in the Clinton administration, Satterfield had several senior positions, including Chief of Staff to Secretary Alexis Herman at the Labor Department. She was Special Assistant to the President and Staff Director to the White House Office of Public, uh, of public Liaison. Yeah. So, again, another yeah, highly qualified <laughs> person. I mean, the, these wow. resumes are... You know, when people are like, you're going to go back to work? I'm like, yeah, my resume doesn't stack up like this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we we spend the time because, you know, we've we've talked about how rebuilding this infrastructure starts with people. So uh, welcome aboard, Lee. Welcome to Adam Scheinman, who is going to be the uh, nominee for special representative of the president for nuclear nonproliferation, another ambassadorial uh, position. Um, he is a professor of practice uh, at the uh, Department of Energy faculty uh, at the National War College. He has previously served as a special representative of uh, the president for not, for nuclear nonproliferation uh, during the Obama administration. And um, that's that's his career. Right. Wow. Um, he spent four years at the DOE like he's he's the guy and they're bringing him back. Awesome. Welcome, Adam. And uh, also welcome Heidi Hsu. She's the nominee for undersecretary for research and engineering at the DOD. Previously, she was. It's nice to have these people who believe in climate science yeah. <laughs> uh, at the Department of Defense. She was the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Acquisition, Logistics, and Technology from September 2012 to January 2016. Uh, the Honorable Heidi Hsu is a member of the Board of Trustees for Aerospace Corporation, the Chairman of the Board for Plaisan North America, member of the Board for Autirion Government Solutions, Catalyze Dallas, Levitate Capital. Levitate Acquisition Corp., Lynn's Capital, VK Integrated Systems, and the UCLA Dean's Executive Board. So she's got a calendar <laughs> yeah. that yep. only rivals Kavanaugh's, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but wow. No, this, no beers with just, squee on this one. No, so. Yeah, no, no, no lifting with Tobin and uh, <laughs> boofing with squee. <laughs> Whatever, buddy. Oh well, there we go. That was a it was a long list, but uh, but I'm glad we covered it. Long list, but important list of highly qualified people being nominated to serve in the Biden administration. I love it, and uh, I love everyone. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> uh, thank you, really seriously. Thank you. Um, this is uh, a labor of love. I love this show, and I, I love talking to you, Andrew. I think we get uh, we get um, we get to have a lot of fun. 
talking about these issues and and seeing like I didn't know what I was going to expect, how this administration was going to be cleaned up. It's happening and it's happening fast and it's happening in earnest. And so I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I I, I share that with you. I mean, you know, we both, I think, came into this right. Uh, eyes open. Um, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, members of the Democratic Party, but, you know, um, with a with a healthy dose of skepticism and um you know, so far, it's it's nice to feel optimistic again. So how about how about we put we, we tie the bow like that? Yeah, love it. I appreciate it. And uh, everybody, thank you so much again. I can't thank you enough. I'm humbled by all of you. Uh, it was I, I, I was on MSNBC this weekend. I was a nervous wreck. I never get nervous, but I was a nervous wreck. But Yasmin Vesuvian was a peach. She's just an incredible uh, journalist, wonderful interviewer and uh we got a chance to talk about uh, a little bit of cleaning up on aisle 45 with the, uh, but this has been going on for over a decade now uh, with the the push. Now, finally, we're getting bipartisan support to change the laws surrounding how military sexual assault is reported. We want to take the commanders out of that decision process because they have a vested interest. They're, they're, you know, they have a conflict uh, with that. And so a lot of these get brushed off. In fact, of, you know, there was a 3% increase in, in reported sexual assaults in the military from 2018 to 2019, up to 7,825, I believe. And, but the, the amount of prosecutions didn't change. Uh, it stayed at 7%. They have a 7% conviction rate of, of those. And those are only the reported ones. So uh, taking that commander out of the chain of command, they're getting the bipartisan support to do it. And hopefully I'll be able to talk more about this subject as the weeks go on. But that is something that has needed change for a very long time. Yeah, it, it is such an important story. It is a problem that we have known about for decades. And the institutional inertia just just blocking it has uh, has 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 been too much un- until uh, now. Your appearance on MSNBC was fabulous. I wasn't sure if you wanted me to embarrass you by uh, by hyping it, but I just couldn't be more proud uh, that um, uh, that finally in a uh, in a broader way. Um, uh, you know, everybody here loves you and knows how great you are, but, uh, uh, you deserve to be, uh, to be seen on TV. And, and, um, I think, I think big things are in store for you on this. You're a sweet talker. I'll bring you an extra fish head with your bowl oh, of whiskey down I to the lawyer wait. basement. I my lawyer wait. basement. Today. Uh, all right, everybody. We will see you next week uh, for episode 17 of cleanup on aisle 45. Woo. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres and is engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with quality assurance and media by Muller She Wrote LLC. Branding design and logo by Starburns Audio and Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our copy is written by Jesse Egan. Our music is written and recorded by Adam Orr and Christopher Hoffey and our opening sequence was designed by Allison Gill and mixed by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Follow us on Twitter at Aisle45Pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>